0: Hello, I'm Alice Su, the economist senior China correspondent based in Taipei. And I'm here with my co-host, David Rennie, the Economist's Beijing bureau chief.
1: Legend has it that a thousand years ago, on a small island of Fujian province, there lived a young woman with mystical powers. And after she died, she was venerated as a sea goddess named Mazu.
0: Today, Mazu is still worshipped by the Chinese diaspora across the world especially in Taiwan.
1: And that has caught the attention of China's Communist Party. Though he leads an atheist party, Xi Jinping has told cadres to use Mazu as a tool of influence.
0: This week, we're asking, why is the Chinese government so interested in a 10th century sea goddess? And could Mazu even swing votes in Taiwan's upcoming elections?
1: This is Drum from The Economist.
0: Hello, David. How are
1: you? I am happy because we are out of that brief window when there's no good fruit in the shops and we are into summer fruit. You know, there's that bit where spring fruit's great and then there's that like late mm. spring, not yet early summer. But now <laughs> the fruit is back. But I'm guessing probably even better in Taiwan.
0: Yes. In Taiwan, we are fully in mango season and there are all kinds of different varieties to choose from. My personal favorite is this one called Taiwan Manguo.
1: Is that a little one or is that one of the ones that's like a rugby ball <laughs> and it weighs the same as a newborn baby?
0: Um, it's smaller than a rugby ball, but it's like golden, red and orange and very sweet and juicy and delicious.
1: And actually, China has woken up to the soft power aspects of the mango season because although Taiwan mangoes do turn up, I've noticed that even like Beijing fruit sellers, they push very hard the fact that the finest mangoes are from China's own tropical island, Hainan.
0: Hmm. Interesting, but I I can't recall ever having had a Hainan mango, or if I have, it wasn't good enough to leave an impression. So I guess that speaks for itself.
1: (laughs) Ooh, That's Hainan. Perhaps they're banned for geopolitical reasons from Taiwan. Anyway, this is a somewhat odd but useful segue into what we want to talk about this week, which is soft power in all its forms and how the Chinese Communist Party will take even a 10th century sea goddess to push the cause of unification with Taiwan. China's plans, right, to win hearts and minds by using Chinese cultural power. And Alice, that's what you've been looking at this week.
0: That's right, David. And one of the ways that China tries to influence Taiwan is through these Chinese folk traditions that still have quite a lot of sway in Taiwan Recently, I decided to get into one of the biggest folk religion events in Taiwan. It was a procession that happens every year for Mazu, the sea goddess, where there's a statue of the goddess. She's carried around the island for nine days with hundreds of thousands of pilgrims following her. And I decided to go there and see what it was like. And I went and recorded you some voice notes. Let's hear them. So I'm standing here right now in Renlin, a small town in Zhanghua County in in central Taiwan. And I'm here today and it's extremely loud and festive all around me because this huge procession is happening for Mazu, who's widely worshipped in Taiwan, but is originally from China.
1: Alice, that is so interesting to hear you at a Mazu festival on your side of the Taiwan Strait, because actually... I've seen one on the mainland side. I actually wrote a column back in well, 2019, I think, about the opening of fishing season in the province of Zhejiang, in this big port, Shepu. And Mazu was a big part of that, with a statue actually going around on a boat. And of course, Mazu is from mainland China, from the province of Fujian.
0: Yeah, that's right. Mazu's origin story is that she was originally a young woman, also known as Lin Monyang, who lived during the Song Dynasty. There are a lot of different stories. Some say like she could predict the weather. Some say she could control the weather. She was able to save sailors who were caught in storms. And of course, a lot of Chinese migrants who left China came from the southern coast, from Fujian, especially Chinese who came to Taiwan, who went to Malaysia, who went to Singapore. And so wherever they went, they also brought mazu worship with them. And originally, you know, it was quite a regional folk tradition, but nowadays in Taiwan, it's kind of expanded beyond what it used to be. So originally, you pray to Mazu for protection on the seas. But here nowadays in Taiwan, people pray to her for health, for safety from traffic accidents, for good grades, for children. She's like a multi-purpose goddess.
1: So tell me about your procession, because my memories of like Taiwan processions is that they don't do things by halves. What was yours like?
0: Yeah, well, it was pretty all out. And I'll just let you listen to a voice note that I recorded there. It really does feel almost like a Disneyland parade, because you can see all these cars going by, floats, bands, people playing with instruments, and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of pilgrims who are you know, walking in their t-shirts and hats. And all along the way, people have set up roadside stalls to offer blessings and prayer, and also to offer free food and drinks and local candies to the pilgrims. And You can see that the whole community is here. It's extremely festive and it's very much a grassroots event where everybody is out.
1: It's also deeply religious, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. So the main event that a lot of these pilgrims are doing is they're following this statue of Mazu, the goddess, that's being carried around in this covered litter, like a box on two poles. As this procession happens, you can see thousands of people, they line up two by two in front of temples. And, you know, this line goes on and on for a really long time. And then this guy starts announcing. He's like. The The umbrellas are coming. Get ready to kneel down. Take off your hats. Put your bags in the front. Be careful because Mazu is coming. As this box approaches them, they kneel down to the ground and they kowtow, like they put their foreheads on the ground. The Mazu statue passes over them, and in that moment, they're supposed to have a spiritual experience or to catch a little bit of Mazu
1: power, if you will. Did you kneel? Did you get that involved?
0: I was very intrigued. I thought about it. And then my colleague, our our researcher here and I, we did go and kneel down. But then we realized the line was so long, it was going to take maybe two hours for Mazu to reach us. So after maybe 40 minutes in the sun, we gave up. But we did observe the Mazu statue passing over a lot of people. And some of them were really moved. I mean, there was this one woman who burst into tears when Madzu passed over her. And I went and asked her, oh, what just happened? Like, How did you feel? And she was saying, like, I could feel the power. Like, I'm so thankful. And then she explained to me that also she had been really sick. She had been diagnosed with cancer before. And she felt that Madzu had protected her from COVID throughout the pandemic. So you can see that people who are going through difficulties in life, they do genuinely put a lot of faith in this goddess.
1: That's so interesting. I mean, it's always dangerous to kind of generalize about something, particularly something so personal like religion. But it always seems to me when I go to temples on the mainland that because of the communist era, when for so many decades, it wasn't even safe to go to temples, they were closed. People praying are often, they're not sure whether it works, but you might as well give it a go because you've got an exam coming up. So, you know, what harm can it do to burn incense? But it sounds to me like Taiwan has kept its roots in a very different way, having never been through the Mao period.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Although I think there might also be a generational difference because you definitely do see a lot of young people, you know, going to Matsu temples and treating it like insurance, the way that it works on the mainland too. Like, I'll just bye-bye. Like, I'll just pray a bit here. It can't hurt, right?
1: And to bring the young, do they add a bit of bling?
0: I don't know about bling, but I did see all kinds of different styles of worship while I was there. So, you know, you could see these really traditional temple dancers and temple performances and these, you know, like big old-fashioned costumes, but then I would also occasionally pass by something that I wasn't expecting. Let me show you this one video.
1: Oh my, so that is some young ladies (laughs) dancing on the back of pickup trucks under giant parasols Sort of pole dancing, it has to be said. Uh, that's a Monty <laughs> thing? They're, they're putting the folk in folk religion, I guess?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a bunch of scantily clad bikini girls dancing to a, a K-pop song. And I have to say, I was kind of surprised because I you know, I haven't been to a lot of temple events, but apparently it's quite common and popular to have these bikini girl performances. And what I learned from talking to people was a lot of these performances and also the stalls of the free food, they're not necessarily organized by the temples. A lot of them are also organized by local businesses or the local community. And they just offer whatever they think mazu will enjoy or whatever they think the pilgrims will enjoy. So bikini girls is part of that too.
1: And so does that mean you meet like an unusual cross-section of people? Who's out watching this procession?
0: The people who are standing by are usually members of the local community and they want to offer Taiwan sausage and sports drinks and things like that to the pilgrims. And it's a way to get more blessings for themselves. And then the pilgrims themselves, some of them are really devout believers. Some of them are doing it out of a sense of tradition. I met this one younger woman who was standing on the side of the road and she was making pour over coffee, which I thought was kind of unusual. And then she told me she was doing this. In honor of her grandmother, who was a devoted believer in Mazu. because my she has so I so basically, she's explaining that she's here because her grandma was a believer and her grandma had passed away, so to inherit her spirit, and because she really likes coffee, she just decided to bring what she likes. She brought this coffee to share with everyone, and she mentioned that in the past, her grandmother used to come to this procession every year, and she would carry a backpack full of clothing belonging to everyone in the family so that everyone would then have a piece of lucky clothing that had been touched by the mazu spirit. She would clothes and the health and
1: And that, I think, really points to something about folk religion, right? That this isn't just about believing that there's a powerful goddess who can answer your prayers. It's also about just by going to be a pilgrim, you're also showing respect for your own immediate family, but for your ancestors. It's part of your identity. And Alice, how does that all tie into that whole really political question of identity that we've talked about before? Because obviously, the Chinese leaders in Beijing, their greatest fear is that more and more people on Taiwan are identifying as Taiwanese. And the greatest ambition of the leaders in China is to make them feel that they are Taiwanese, but also Chinese, and that their kind of mother culture is all bound up with their ancestors on mainland China. How does Mazu fit into that?
0: Well, that's exactly why I wanted to look into Mazu, because as you say, David, on the one hand, this is something that people really organically embrace as part of their own family tradition and as part of their culture and part of their roots. And at the same time, this is something that the Communist Party and specifically the United Front, which tries to spread party influence abroad, has been using to try to influence Taiwan. And so after this procession, I started researching more of this, talking to scholars and also going to some of the Mazu temples where people had been going on cross-strait exchanges and experiencing firsthand what it's like to be going somewhere for a religious and personal reason, but then to encounter a party effort at influence.
1: And we'll hear about how an atheist communist party uses temples in a moment. But first, we want to remind listeners that you can always read much more about China in every week's Economist. You will need to be a subscriber, though. So if you are not already, we have a free 30-day digital subscription just for our listeners, which, can I point out, Alice, that's a pretty good deal.
0: Yes, extremely good deal.
1: So you need to visit economist.com slash drum offer to find out more. So, Alice, you took us to the streets of Taiwan to see this amazing synthesis of ancient Chinese tradition and religion and modern Taiwanese culture. And perhaps counterintuitively, that's an opening for the Communist Party, right? Because this atheist party that once closed down temples and persecuted priests and monks has now realized that in its modern-day struggle to convince the people of Taiwan that they are Chinese and should return to direct rule from Beijing. Anything that can be used as a kind of lever to drag them closer will do and enter Mazu, the 10th century sea goddess.
0: Yeah, that's right. And because within the folk religion, there's this thing where the original temples always have a bit more spiritual power. Ever since Taiwanese people were able to go and travel to the mainland, which started in 1987, Taiwanese believers on their own were really eager to make pilgrimages to Mazu's original temple in Meizhou, And they started doing that in the late 80s and the early 90s. And then that's something that the Chinese government saw and realized, oh, this is good. Like a lot of Taiwanese people are coming here. They're really into this religion. Maybe we can promote it and make it into a way to draw the two sides together and remind them that we are all one family. And that is something that has especially ramped up under Xi Jinping, who, as you know, is all about rejuvenating the great Chinese nation. But that also means that he really promotes Chinese traditional culture and folk religion has become part of that.
1: Alice, is it true that Xi Jinping's wife, back in the day when she was a super famous patriotic folk singer, Pang Liyuan, she sang a song about mazu?
0: Why, yes, it is. And we actually dug that song up so that you could listen to it.
2: That
0: is quite a song.
1: That is not a lady you would mess with, gotta say.
0: Do you mean Peng Ren or do you mean Mazu?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's such an interesting contrast with your procession, isn't it? Because that sounds exactly like a CCTV spring gala. It's like that full-on turbo patriotic anthem sound.
0: Yeah, it's extremely grand. And in recent years, you can see that Mazu has become part of a lot of Xi Jinping's signature initiatives, like the Belt and Road. In 2017, a statue of Mazu from her original temple was taken on this maritime tour across Southeast Asia. She also made a stop in Taiwan, and it was promoted as this maritime Silk Road tour, connecting Mazu with all of her ethnic Chinese followers all across the region.
1: I'm really glad you mentioned these tours around the whole of Southeast Asia. One of the great tensions for Chinese rulers way back to the start of the 20th century was the level of loyalty that they demanded from ethnic Chinese all over Southeast Asia, right? And yet, particularly, as you say, Alice, under Xi Jinping, China's most assertive leader in a long, long time, we've seen this very open view that the Chinese Communist Party owns all of this culture. It owns all of these shrines and temples and sites. And it is unashamedly using that. And you hear she using these incredible phrases about the children of the dragon, the people with yellow skin and black hair are all at some level loyal to the Chinese nation.
0: Exactly. And one reason we're looking at this topic right now, especially here in Taiwan, is because these Mazu exchanges are ramping up again. And that's for two reasons. One is that the zero COVID restrictions have lifted. So it's possible for Taiwanese people to go into China quite easily. And also because presidential elections are approaching. So in January Taiwanese people are going to pick their next president. And the two main parties are the current ruling party, the Democratic Progressive Party, which tends to be more pro-Taiwanese sovereignty or independence, and the opposition party, the Nationalist Party, which originally came from the mainland. They're also known as the Kuomintang or the KMT. And traditionally, they have been much more in favor of one China and Chinese identity and better relations with the Chinese.
1: Tell us about going to a Mazu temple that's been involved in exchanges and visits across the Taiwan Strait.
0: Yeah. So recently we decided to go visit a temple that had been on a lot of these cross-straits exchanges. And it is in the middle of Taipei City in Daan District, in a little alley close to a very good (laughs) beef noodle shop that I know. We went in. I was a little bit hesitant at first. I didn't know if they would be open to talking about their trips to the mainland. But actually, as soon as we brought it up, The people at the temple were really excited. They brought us in and they showed us this huge wooden plaque on the wall, gilded in gold. And they said, oh, we got this plaque from Meizhou, from Fujian, from our good friends at this big temple that we love going to. And we used to go there every year until covid I met this man named Jiang Mingfu. He's 89 years old. He has white hair. He really loves Mazu. But he was telling us about how every time they go to visit the ancestral temple in Meiji, they're treated especially well. He said,
2: Hmm.
0: There are always a lot of people there but when our temple goes they let us pray first and the head of the temple comes to pray with us. He's very respectful and they take us to these banquets and they do all these like special performances for us and I mentioned at one point Do they think you're especially devout because you came from Taiwan. And he was like, well, it's also because we have a very good relationship with them. We have somebody who has a very good connection with them. And he mentioned that some of our temple members do a lot of business with them. So actually, we have this very strong connection. And he was very proud of it.
1: I could say that's pretty revealing, right, Alice? When you asked him whether because he comes from Taiwan, he's seen as devout, he uses that very political business word of guanxi, like our connections are like really special. So he kind of knows he's being flattered for a mix of business and political reasons, not just religion.
0: Yeah, he's quite open about it. And I think they recognize that There's sort of a a commercial side to the Mazu temples in the mainland. In fact, one thing he was telling me about was how the mainland temples just have much better resources. And they talk about how it's kind of almost run like a company, like they just have so much money, but also they're able to build these really huge and impressive new temples. And he says, you know, yeah, we have good temples over here in Taiwan, but it's still not up to par with the ones that they built over there.
2: Oh.
0: they built so many floors, and on every floor there's a temple, and it's so tiring to walk from the bottom floor to the top floor because it's just overwhelmingly
1: large.
2: Wow. <laughs>
1: Alice, I love that you asked them if they need a lift (laughs) to get up to the higher floors. But obviously, when they're in the mainland, these temples are big and restored and beautiful, not because the Communist Party is building new temples from scratch, but these are tourism projects, right? These are political projects. It's all about trying to make people more patriotic. In Taiwan, in your temple, do they acknowledge that when they go to these beautiful, restored tourism sites in China, that if there is a monk or an abbot there, he is ultimately controlled by... Some atheist official from the Religious Affairs Bureau?
0: Actually, I think they were very aware of that. I spoke to a, a younger guy in the temple. His name is Asen, and he's one of the temple managers now. You know, he was very sympathetic the way that he described it. He said to me, Religion in China basically is regulated in a way that's not in Taiwan. So even though their economy is getting better and better, like we have more religious freedom. So actually, it's something that we can help them with.
2: Uh-huh.
1: That is a very diplomatic temple manager because, you know, there he is saying that it's because of China's Wenhua, their culture that they have to regulate religion as opposed to that they've got a walking great communist party at the top of their system. And I've certainly seen how the communist party and the authorities in China wrap a bit of religion into an otherwise civil ceremony. I mean, the reason I went to a Mazu festival back in 2019 was because it was the opening day of fishing season. You had, on the one hand, this amazing sight of all the fishing boats going out with the flags flying in this huge kind of armada leaving this port triple near Ningbo. But you also, the night before, had a big seafood banquet and lots of alcohol, but also a Mazu statue being taken around the harbor. And so it's all part of this seamless continuum, but ultimately under a Communist Party leadership.
0: Yeah, and to better understand how these visits happen, I decided to go and meet the guy who was leading these visits for this little temple. So if you remember, the people in the temple were saying the reason we get treated so well is because we have someone who has very good Guanxi, you know, very special connections in China. So I went to meet this guy. His name is Shu Wei Cheng. We actually had to go all the way to New Taipei City to meet him in this real estate office that he runs because Turns out he has a lot of jobs outside of his temple work. He was wearing kind of like a white polo and black slacks, and he looked like a, a business guy. And he was very forthcoming about the political nature of these exchanges. In fact, he was kind of bragging to us about how good his connections are.
2: when we to When we to
0: Basically, he was telling us about how he has friends. He has a a special friend who has connections in China going way back 30 to 40 years ago. And they've done tons of different kinds of business with Chinese partners, running hotels and so on. So we're treated specially. And then he described how when they go to pray, they get special ceremonies and they go to the leader's house. They drink together. They have tea. And essentially just, you know, they're VIPs.
1: It's so interesting hearing your guy who's all about boasting about how much of a big shot and a VIP he is when he goes to the mainland. You see how everything, including religion, could be kind of instrumentalized for that political task of bringing Taiwan into the fold. And and it can be pretty explicit, right? So in a speech in 2011, just before he became the top leader, Xi Jinping told officials to make full use of Mazu to woo people in Taiwan.
0: Yeah, David, such a good point you make about how everything can be instrumentalized. We've talked about this before. It's part of the party's philosophy, right? Everything should become a tool to mold people to follow and obey the party, including religion. But I think what's really striking, especially about Mazu, is just that you can see how the party undersea is treating Chinese traditional folk religions so differently from foreign religions, right, like Islam and Christianity. Those religions are being put under a very strong Sinification campaign, which means you need to eliminate foreign influence, you need to make them into a tool of party obedience. But I guess in some ways, you know, Chinese religions, they're already Chinese, so it's hard to Sinicize them anymore.
1: You're absolutely right. So Buddhism, and in particular Taoism, they are like super approved. Although even those Communist Party members are not technically allowed to worship in a temple. Mazu is classed as a folk belief and not a religion. And so party members can go to a Mazu temple. But you're absolutely right about the suspicion of Islam and Christianity, foreign religions that do have lots and lots of believers in China nowadays. Remember that that province where I went back in 2019, when Xi Jinping ran it, They were worried about underground Christianity, and they actually took the crosses off the roofs of Christian churches that were seen as too prominent. Although, I will say that when that armada of fishing boats went out to sea for the opening of the fishing season, some of them had Iman Eli,
0: Ah. uh,
1: Emmanuel, (laughs) painted on the hull. So those were Christian boats.
0: Amazing. The individual believers always find a way.
1: And how about in Taiwan, Alice? Do individual believers know that at some level they're being used for political reasons?
0: Yeah, I was curious about that too. And when I spoke to Mr. Shu, who led the mazu trips, he was very straightforward, actually, about how China wants to use mazu to influence Taiwan. He told me, the policy is like this. They want to use religion to make us all be one family.
2: Yeah.
0: And then... He elaborated later, he said, I think their leaders are thinking, if we can unify the religious people first, then it'll be easier to talk more in the future because at least you guys all believe that you all came from the mainland.
1: It's amazing to hear how explicit that is, right? He's very aware that this fits into the big partisan divide that dominates Taiwan, right, politics and society, that you have people who think of themselves as Taiwanese, but also Chinese. Maybe their families came relatively recently from the mainland. That's a big part of their identity. And maybe they are more religious, more culturally conservative. And in Taiwanese political slang, they are the blue camp, as opposed to the Green Camp, who vote for the DPP, who are much more willing to think of themselves as Taiwanese. And listen to him saying, that's so interesting. He says, you know, maybe the Chinese have decided that if you can reunify the religious people first, those cultural conservatives, the people who feel that they are from the mainland. So he's really aware how all of these temple exchanges fit right into that binary divide that sits on top of Taiwanese politics and Taiwanese society.
0: Yeah, that's right. He's totally aware of it. And then I I went on to ask him, I mean, do you think... It's effective. You know, like do you think basically China can influence Taiwan's politics through these mazu exchanges? And then he actually said, No, like actually it's not that easy.
2: Mm.
0: And then he went on to explain, he said, our temple, for example, is more moderate. So you can believe in whoever you want. You can be blue, you can be green. But when you come here, you're a believer in mazu. And he said also, you know, within the followers of the temple, they have a very clear divide of blue people and green people. And the green, no matter what, are going to be green. And the blue, no matter what, are going to be blue. And so essentially, it's hard to change either one of them. And going on a trip to worship mazu in Fujian is not going to necessarily affect their political
2: beliefs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's quite the quote you've got.
0: He said, actually, people who support the green, like, no matter how bad the green are, they're still going to support them. And the people who support the blue are going to keep supporting the blue. So clearly, you know, he has his own side.
1: And do you see politicians in the green camp? Do they now try and show that they love Mazu too when they're out campaigning? Is that a thing? Do they try and sort of prize Mazu away from the grip of mainland authorities?
0: Yeah, I mean, actually, because Mazu is so beloved in Taiwan and temples are a place that people gather, political candidates of all parties do go and try to campaign in the temples. So, the DBP nominee for president, Lai Tingde, who is the current vice president, visited a Mazu temple in Kaohsiung in April this year. Uh, Here he is speaking in Taiwanese or Hokkien, which is originally a Fujian dialect. And he says, I am just like you. I'm a believer of Mazu. And when I was young, I used to look forward to these Mazu events hosted by the temples every year. Politicians of all stripes tried to appeal to Mazu. And actually, in the last presidential elections in 2020, Terry Gou, the head of Foxconn, wanted to be a presidential nominee. And he said that Mazu had appeared to him in a dream and told him to run for president. Even, even the fact that he would say that, it just shows that he believes that will have an impact on the Taiwanese voter.
1: Do you think that the Communist Party in Beijing could actually use Mazu to sway votes
0: So, I mean, that's the big question, and that's the question I pose to a whole bunch of different scholars. And most of them say the impact on votes directly is not really measurable because voters make decisions for so many reasons, right? And going on a trip to see the Mazu Temple is just one of them. But what the scholars told me is that the way these Mazu trips affect Taiwanese society usually is more indirect and more long term. So like every time people go on these trips to these temples, they end up making WeChat groups.
1: And that's a very mainland social media app, right? That is the great granddaddy of Chinese social media apps with very strict mainland censorship. So that's a big deal if you're a Taiwanese person who's using WeChat for a lot of your communications.
0: Yeah, that's right. Mr. Shu actually showed me his WeChat group from his Mazu trips. It has 450 people in it. When elections approach, those groups become targeted channels of disinformation. And that's what scholars are worried about, is that people who participate in these exchanges, they start receiving a lot of disinformation from China. They start hearing things like the current government is lying, is corrupt. That has an indirect influence on the way that they think. I did ask Mr. Xu if I could join the WeChat group, and he said he would ask and get back to me. But until today, I haven't been allowed in.
1: Oh, no. You've been dissed. You've been BFB'd. You've been boufambien. Not <laughs> <Yeah>. convenient.
0: 不方便.
1: <laughs> and of course, in electoral politics, you can have an impact even if you don't swing someone from one party to another. Persuasion is only part of electoral campaigning. The other thing to do is to Make sure that your own natural supporters do actually feel strongly enough about the election to come out and vote. And so, that kind of shoring up the base, you can see how it could be useful to demonize the Green Camp, the DPP, as kind of race traitors who don't love Chinese heritage, who can't be trusted to kind of lead a healthy society. So, that could be a really useful tool for the party. And all of those good old boys that you were talking to boasting about the banquets and the special treatment they get on the mainland. That kind of patronage politics is also really useful for shoring up your core supporters, right? If you're the Communist Party. And, you know, I always think that the core message of the Communist Party to everyone outside its own borders in terms of foreign policy, Taiwan policy is resistance to us is futile, but doing what we want will make it worth your while. And I think you can see how they use religion in that.
0: Yeah, definitely. And when you talked about how there's this demonization of the DPP or the current Taiwanese government, some of the scholars I met told me, you know, they do think that narrative is working. And also that there's another narrative, which is China is now the champion of Chinese folk religion and Chinese tradition, and Taiwan is the enemy of it, and Taiwan doesn't like being Chinese, and Taiwan wants to deny this really important part of your own personal tradition. So this one scholar I spoke to, Zhang Guimin, who's a political scientist at National Taiwan University, she told me in 2019, she was going on a religious exchange to China, right? And before she went, she got a call from an elder at a temple. And he told her, like, you should be careful because you're going to China. And she said, yeah, yeah, I'm really worried, you know, because you worry about surveillance and so on. But then he continued and he said, you should be careful because, When you come back, you're going to get questioned by Taiwan Security Services. And then she realized, like, oh, in his worldview... Taiwan's government is the bad guys that don't like religion. Oh,
1: wow. Like, so Taiwan is the scary police state, not China.
0: Yeah, they're the scary police state. And, you know, if you go to China as a devout believer who loves Mazu, the Communist Party is going to welcome you and celebrate you. But when you come back, like the bad Taiwanese government is going to take you in for questioning. And it's, uh, it's really scary. Uh, so, so when that elder told her that, she took that as anecdotal evidence that the disinformation and this kind of flipping of reality where China is the place of religious freedom and Taiwan is not. Like it, it is really working in some circles.
1: It's such a strong piece of evidence that whenever we're talking about Chinese politics, those left-wing, right-wing labels just don't map on well, because here you have the Chinese Communist Party appealing to socially conservative Taiwanese and appealing to them that, you know, we are the Chinese traditionalists, together. You know, you have literally the Communist Party now talking about being the faithful inheritors of excellent traditional Chinese culture. Just a few decades after that, same party was trying to destroy every temple they could find. So it's whatever works, right? Power is the guiding compass that Communist Party leaders follow in this.
0: Yeah. So in February, Song Tao, who is the head of China's Taiwan Affairs Office, he said to a group of Taiwanese Mazu temple leaders that the DPP and the current Taiwanese government is trying to desinicize Taiwan.
1: Wow. So he's literally saying desinicize Taiwan means making Taiwan less Chinese. That's the accusation from this senior Communist Party official.
0: Yeah. And basically, it's like he's saying to them, this traitorous pro-independence party is trying to deny your roots and your ancestry. They don't value this core part of who you are. But we do because we are China. You know, we are your motherland. And so you should come and be with us. I think Something that stuck with me while I was doing this story was it's true that Taiwan is 95% Han Chinese. And when Chinese officials talk about how the Taiwanese government is trying to de-sinicize Taiwan, I think that actually does resonate with a lot of Taiwanese people here who are proud of their tradition and proud of their culture. And they don't know how to grapple with this contradiction.
1: And Alice, you are on the ground for just such an important election January 2024 when the Taiwanese choose their next president and Beijing is going to be watching that like a hawk for any signs that a candidate is promising to take Taiwan away from China in some irrevocable way and at that point you could see a culture war heading dangerously close to a shooting war
0: mhm yeah and at the same time in the lead up to those elections i think that's when we'll really see china stepping up its united front efforts to tell taiwanese people like If you love Mazu, then come to China and be Chinese with us. And, you know, that's where you truly belong. But the thing is that Taiwan is now a democracy whose citizens can choose their government and they can vote based on policies and values, not on patronage networks or on concepts of racial loyalty, right? So I think one encouraging thing is that as this democracy matures, I think Taiwanese people are going to be more and more able to embrace and assert their Chinese culture without feeling like that means they then have to kowtow to the motherland, right? So it's this idea that you can worship Mazu and you can love Mazu and not belong to China at the same time.
1: Because China doesn't equal the Communist Party of China.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because Chinese culture doesn't belong to the Chinese Communist Party. It belongs to all Chinese people who can assert it and express it however they like in whatever political system they like.
1: Thank you to everyone who's been emailing us. And remember, you can send us messages at drum at Special shout out to a listener in Chengdu, Mu, who shared his own really interesting experience of being an overseas returnee, a high and struggling to find a good graduate job after he'd listened to our Kong E. G episode.
0: And thank you also to Peter from Hong Kong, who listened to our two-part series, The Cage, and wrote to us about the similarities between the tactics used on Uyghurs overseas and tactics now used against Hong Kongers. If you haven't listened to that series or to our episode on Komiti, you can find them wherever you listen. And thank you for listening to Drum Tower. We'll be back next week.
1: Our editor is Poppy Seabag-Montefiore. Alicia Burrell and Barkley Bram produced this episode sound design is by Tingley Lim and our music was composed by Jocelyn Tan. The executive producer is Marguerite Howell.
0: Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil.